Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, I'm Piers Cotting, and I'm pleased to be back in the hot seat hosting today's podcast for NIHR Dementia Researcher. Today I'm joined by three clinicians who are here to share their stories of how they've become involved in dementia research and what it means in real terms. Plus, I think they're hoping to make a case to persuade others who are working with people with dementia to become actively involved in research. All three of our panellists are early career research representatives for the UK's National Institute for Health Research Specialty Group for Dementia and Neurodegeneration, so hopefully we'll hear a little bit about that. So hello and welcome to Dr Sylvie Halsey, Dr Zoe Clough, and Dr. Leo Hularius. Hi. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. So before we begin, can I ask you all just to introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about where you're from? So Sylvie, maybe you could go first. Sure. So hi, my name's Sylvie Halsey. I'm currently working as a specialty registrar in old age psychiatry and I live in Southampton. So at the moment, I work most of my week in the New Forest in a community mental health team for older patients, and one day a week doing research, and that's at the Memory Assessment and Research Centre in Southampton, known as MARC. Um, So there I'm a sub-investigator for various trials in dementia, and more recently I've become a PI, so principal investigator as well. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm Zoe. I am a specialty registrar in old age psychiatry down in the Wessex Deanery as well, so near Sylvie. Um, I live between Southampton and Portsmouth and I'm currently working in Basingstoke in a clinical role on an old age um, psychiatry inpatient ward and I um, spend a day a week at the Memory Assessment and Research Centre in Southampton also doing some dementia research. And I'm Leo Juliaras. I work as a clinical lecturer in old age psychiatry at the University of Cambridge in Cambridge and a specialty registrar in Cambridgeshire and Peterborough NHS Foundation Trust. So I split my time between Addenbrooke's Hospital and Fulborough Hospital. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. So I'm really pleased uh, that we're discussing this today as it's something that I've had a keen interest in in the last 15 years in the National Institute for Health Research. And I realise that much of what we're going to talk about is focused on the systems here in the UK, but I know that other countries are working hard to drive the same sort of changes in getting clinicians involved in research, so hopefully this will be of interest to listeners from other countries too. It's probably worth mentioning at this point that there are opportunities for people from overseas to come and study or work here in the UK, so we'll try and post some useful links on our website when we post this um, podcast. Now, I know all of you have got a medical background, But I think it might be nice just to hear a little bit about your backstories and particularly thinking about how you got from being a clinician to getting involved in research. So I essentially had a very enthusiastic supervisor when I was coming to the end of my core training in psychiatry. So when you go into higher training, you have one day a week that you can use as a special interest day. So researching, for example, could be used in that time. Um, I didn't really know what to do with my special interest day at the time. And the supervisor, who's a consultant psychiatrist, suggested um, checking out the local memory research centre, which I did. So I went and did some shadowing, had a look around, found out what the work was like. um, And that kind of evolved into me doing a bit more shadowing, having an induction. And then they supported me to do some training to get started working in research. So things like GCP training, good clinical practice um, with 
with the NIHR and then various different training um, depending on the study I was going to be working on. And yeah, I started doing that in my special interest day once I started higher training. So I'm very much doing that alongside my kind of usual clinical role. And the trust supports that and allows that time. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so the amount of time you get as special interest does depend on whether you're full time. So you get one day a week if you're full time. If you're 80%, you might get one day a week for three weeks out of the month, for example. So you can negotiate depending what fits. OK, that all makes sense. Zoe? Um, so I suppose I started to become interested in dementia research when I was a medical student. Um, my grandmother sadly had dementia. And so I had this experience of seeing it in my own family what that condition can do to to people and seeing my granddad trying to care for her and and how hard that was for him at times um and that really sparked my interest in this area um so as a medical student I did a, a little research project um looking at dementia with Lewy bodies and I I found it really interesting I, I liked the kind of scientific aspect of it and also just started to meet these fantastic patients and carers who were volunteering to take part in studies and just thought they were a fantastic group of people to be working with um so I then went into um psychiatry training and I applied for an academic clinical fellow post in old age psychiatry which gave me sort of nine months of research time in my first three years in psychiatry training and and that gave me a bit more time to have a taste of research really um which I did a bit of a project in mild cognitive impairment um and I again I enjoyed that um I've now gone into higher training in old age psychiatry and I'm spending a day a week doing more of the clinical trials work at the memory assessment research center so again I've been trained in GCP etc and I've been working as a sub-investigator on some commercial trials um and just taken on a, my first PI role in a non-commercial trial as well um and I'm hoping to do a PhD at some point in the future <laughs> Yeah, well, my path was a little bit different. So I came from Greece originally. When I finished medical school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I was very interested in neurosciences and the brain. So I, I moved to the Netherlands and I took up a PhD post studying basic neurosciences. And there I got interested into what how the brain works and what really happens when people get dementia. So I studied the epigenetic aspect of that in aging and Alzheimer's disease. And after that, I decided I wanted to go back to clinical practice, train in psychiatry. And I, I, I benefited from the NIHR opportunities. I went for an ACF post initially in Oxford, and then there was an opportunity for a NIHR clinical lectureship post in Cambridge, and I went for it. And I now work work in Cambridge with John O'Brien, studying Lewy body dementia, and my focus is on epigenetic mechanisms in Lewy body dementia. So I, I spend half of my time doing research and half of my time doing clinical work as a registrar. Okay, that makes sense. So maybe just to ask Sylvie and Zoe, so it's interesting, so you're both very similar stages coming through your higher training. What proportion of your sort of contemporaries uh, in your training program are doing the same sort of thing are spending that day a week on research is that a very common choice or what are the other choices that people make to do with that time it's becoming increasingly common yeah. fortunately in our areas we've had a lot of people showing an interest recently actually so I would say probably a third of, yeah, we've had of, a bit of an trainees yeah right, which is really nice um, um which is great I think I mean sometimes people use those sessions some people might do a medical education um masters or some people have um will just spend some time with geriatricians getting some more sort of uh, physical healthcare um updates and things like that or if they've got particular interest in imaging or something like that they might use that time to do that 
Um, but certainly we've we've had more interest, and I think that's because we're um, making a programme that is a bit more um, structured and supportive of trainees and sort of trying to get people involved um, a bit earlier um, and to show them that there are some really good benefits of taking part in research. So. We'll come back to the benefits, but uh, Sylvia, I'm interested. So clearly you've you mentioned supervisors and, yes. and sort of mentors, people taking you through into the research process. And I know some of the guys down in, in, in Southampton uh, worked with them previously. So how important, well, not how important is that supervision, but how how does it flow across to other clinicians, so post-training, so consultants in the service in the memory clinics and in, in the CMHTs? Mm. What sort of, is there broad acceptance that the trainees are out there spending their time on research or is research seen as a sort of rarefied specialized activity of a few of the consultants in the service i think similar to what zoe was saying i think it's changing and it's becoming more accepted the more we talk about it and spread the word essentially i think from my point of view before i started doing research i had absolutely no experience of it whatsoever and didn't think it was necessarily for me that i would be suitable or have the right kind of qualifications because i haven't gone down an academic route um so i'm hoping by kind of encouraging other people that you don't necessarily have to do that you can go in and be supported to get some training and do it on a kind of part-time basis as a special interest it can look more easily um i guess you can fit it into your job a lot more easily and it'll become more widely accepted i hope and do you see i guess to all of you as as, as trainees do you see your consultant colleagues also taking these steps and and stepping into research or do you think this is your experience and the types of um route into research are very specific to early career researchers in this sense well my experience is actually there are there are a few consultants in our trust who actively work at, in in research and most of them don't and i i think that there probably isn't that much involvement of the consultants actually to be honest i think um people feel like i don't know when they get into a consultant job it can be more difficult sometimes to have the time to come and do that bit of training or, or to go somewhere new and feel like well actually I'm a consultant I should know what I'm doing which you might not do initially um so I think it's been really good to have you know to to try and encourage people to do it during their training because then hopefully we will become consultants who already have that experience um but also you know there's no reason why new consultants can't join in as well um but yeah I think it's it's a bit mixed and I think a lot of people have just never really thought about doing it it's interesting so my my last experience in a clinical job working at a CMHT which ran right alongside one of the big research centers in London was very much our sort of modus operandi not to particularly refer our patients through to the studies that were happening at that center because there was a sense that there was just a burden on the cmht you know when people went into research they got the research piece done but the fallout then came back to the cmht team and is that i mean this is 15 years ago or so but i mean is that still your experience or do you find the cmhts more broadly or the other teams around more broadly supportive of your efforts I think it's quite variable depending on the CMHT. I don't know if you guys would agree. I think that with work with the local clinical research networks, I think the CMHTs are making research and referring patients to research studies as part of the routine clinical work. For example, when someone gets diagnosed, particularly with dementia, we have the post-diagnostic support session and talking about research along other things and signing up people to join dementia research or getting their details is part is part of the routine 
nowadays and i think it's really important for dementia because we don't have any disease modifying treatments at the moment and the only way to find them is by by recruiting patients in research and and in studies so that we can we can work towards that so your feeling is is that in cambridge that the role of talking about research to patients and signing people up to join dementia research that's been sort of distributed amongst the team not just the research active it is so, certainly we are doing a lot of work on that and we are trying the the researchers try to be embedded in in the in the clinics they spend time in in memory clinics informing people giving all of the material and also reminding the the, the clinicians that they are there and they can refer people to research and how important that is and i think as long as we keep doing that uh, people will it will be embedded so Zoe, you you mentioned um benefits so this might be the moment i mean as in if you're faced with a a, a team member or a consultant colleague who's a little bit skeptical about research or the benefits how do you how do you sell the benefits of research both from a clinician and a patient perspective um I think I think actually educating people about that will really help to get more referrals through. So um, certainly when I worked in a CMHT recently, you know, everyone, everyone's busy. There's a lot of time pressure. And I think sometimes that question about, oh, would you be interested in taking part in research almost doesn't become a priority to the clinician at that time. But I think that there are huge benefits for patients. I mean, some of the patients that you might see in a memory clinic it's certainly in our service, if you have a mild cognitive impairment diagnosis, then the service is not actually commissioned to follow those people up. But if they come into a into a research project, then they, they kind of do get that follow-up as part of being the, in the project. And so people like that. They get a lot of psych- psychosocial support from being um, part of the studies. And also I think it gives um, the patients and the carers and you as a clinician a kind of sense of hope that things might improve and that you, you each might be able to contribute in some way to finding a cure or or helping in some way to um, treating dementia in the future and I think that message is really important to get out there because why wouldn't you refer somebody and actually we could argue that every you know everyone should have that opportunity. What's the biggest barrier you face because we know that not everyone does Mm -hmm. refer so what's the sort of most common objection? I'd say time it's it's (laughs) an extra bit of time people need to go through what is what, what getting involved in research means, how much commitment it will take. And sometimes time time is getting less and less. We add a lot of things we have to do. And I think that's that's the most. Do you feel so do you feel that clinicians and I mean that broadly, I mean people that come into contact with with, with patients in the whole sort of clinical pathway might just not feel confident about talking about research and that, that, that that's a sort of I guess a training need is it or a general education need is that a if you asked most jobbing clinicians who don't get involved in research would would that be a barrier I mean are people generally just a little bit nervous about what they might get asked or what they might not know I, I think it depends on you as a clinician so I think some people are quite happy to just say you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of every trial that's running recently. I don't know if you'll be suitable, but if you'd like the the idea of it, then I can pass your details on and the research team can contact you to discuss it further. I think that's all is that is really needed. Some clinicians just have a higher threshold where they want to know everything about every trial before they discuss that with patients. And I think there you could argue you do need you know, there there will be a gap in knowledge. But I, I don't think you actually need to have that level of information really to just sow the seed of of being involved in a in a research study to a patient so it doesn't actually take as long as you think it might 
No, that that feels absolutely <laughs> right. And sometimes I wonder whether it's almost not necessarily the clinicians or the senior clinicians who maybe should be asking that question because they, they, they there is an assumed knowledge between the patient and, and the clinician, which, you know, maybe if uh, if you're discussing that with a more junior member of staff where that presumed knowledge isn't there, that you, you'd feel less uncomfortable. Mm. Um, I don't know if you have any experience of services where where that, that interaction with the patient and the research actually happens, you know, at the front desk as it were you know as early as possible or is it always a clinician to patient conversation i suppose it has to be a clinician to patient conversation because participating in research is voluntary and we need to get the consent from people that we will be sharing their details with the research team we will be accessing the records and i find that it usually once once the patient uh, gets to know the clinician gets to trust them and understand what is really is all about then it's much easier to recruit them to a study but I'm, I'm interested to hear different views really yeah well, I, I, we we don't in our area have um research nurses sitting in on clinics no. i think did, did you say that yeah we're, we're trying to do happens. that as well yeah mm. I've, I've seen it put on the bottom of letters recently if you are interested please contact this number um but i agree it's it's going to be more effective and feel nicer to have that conversation in person with the absolutely but then that comes to the point of not every clinician can know every study so so you can i absolutely take your point leo that recruiting to an individual study then there's um you know very a lot of knowledge to pass across and if you're consenting someone then clearly clearly there's a lot of um gcp and governance and all those things to, to be put in place but having that initial conversation and signposting as i think think zoe was talking about so you guys all have nihr roles is that national institute for health research sort of formal roles or you sit on the specialty group yes well so leah and i have recently become sort of the early career researcher representatives to the nihr specialty group for dementia so that might not mean much if you're listening from the us but if you're uh, up in northamptonshire or what does that mean what does it mean to to jobbing clinicians well i, I can answer this my post for example is an nihr clinical lectureship post meaning that i have the time to spend half of my time doing research and half of my time doing clinical work and the research time is funded by the nihr so it is an opportunity really that i have to spend more time doing research so that's a, an open program that you applied for exactly so the nihr has those those what we call the integrated clinical academic pathway yeah. so it has a, a certain number of posts where clinicians who have an interest in research can spend part of their training doing research as, as zoe said earlier the first parts of the training is usually one day a week and later on during the the training to become a psychiatrist or a neurologist or a geriatrician you can spend up to half of your time doing relevant studies and research studies before we come on to the specialty group just wanted to ask so you have a phd leo how how important do you think that is in terms of pursuing a research career because i know that both of you zoe and um uh, sylvie don't have phds that's right isn't it well there are certainly some benefits to it but it's not necessary for everyone to do it i mean if people are interested in basic research working in labs and doing some some more biological um, studying biological mechanisms yes it is important to do research and get get the skills that are required for that and also if someone wants to develop their own ideas and start their own research projects having a phd will help with that 
On the other side, when people are interested to take part in clinical studies, recruit patients to studies, assess them as part of trials, using their medical and clinical skills, it's not necessary at all to have a PhD for that aspect. And Sylvie, Zoe, that's your experience in a sense. So you're, you're, you're doing that work and you mentioned, Zoe, you hope maybe to do a PhD yeah, so I, I guess I've I maybe just a sort of a bit earlier on in my career than Leo is. So I I did have the academic clinical fellow post, which which is kind of designed to help you potentially apply for a PhD. I have actually applied to do a PhD. Right. I, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> uh, I haven't watched this space. Um, but I, it depends what you want to do, and I don't I don't think it's essential. And I think Sylvie, you'd agree. Yeah. So I'm <clears throat> carrying on my training to become a consultant psychiatrist in old age, and it's just something that I feel very much complements that my my research role, um, rather than going down an academic route. It just helps me in lots of ways. I think um, skills wise, I've noticed quite a lot of benefit. Um, diagnostically, I was I was going to mention. I think those skills have improved, probably because you you end up seeing a lot of patients from the point of view of they've mostly been diagnosed already maybe a couple of years ago for example and you get that picture of how they were diagnosed what the symptoms were like and perhaps in more uh, rare types of dementia you're going to see a few more people with unusual types uh, close together whereas I probably wouldn't get that from my normal clinical practice as much so you're kind of learning symptom patterns and things like that too. Oh, that's really interesting so that's a really good sort of message out not necessarily to early career researchers but to the broader the broader clinical community, isn't it? That I mean, I think the PhD message is really important. You don't have to go down that route. This isn't necessary. When we talk about research, it's not about necessarily becoming an academic yeah. at all. Uh, and that's really interesting that you might actually, you know, the benefit to your own clinical practice that you'll take through your career, even if you don't carry on being a researcher so back to the specialty group so 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 the national institute for health research has a, a national specialty group that brings together researchers or research active clinicians from across the country what does the group do yeah so we've we've only joined this group sort of at, at middle of last year so we're, it's a learning process <laughs> um but essentially um so the nhr has these sort of um a clinical research network and there's 15 different local clinical research networks and in each of those they have a sort of specialty lead for each type of um area of research so there's one for um dementia and neurodegeneration and the national specialty group kind of gets together those lead researchers from all the different places across the country um to meet together we have two face-to-face meetings a year and two teleconferences a year um and it's there's a variety of things really so there's some sort of national strategic leadership about um dementia research in the country and recently their big drive has been to increase the number of early career researchers (laughs) in fact so by two at least by by two at least so um Lee and I and I have joined that group as early career researcher representatives to kind of give the point of view of what it's like to be an early career researcher and try to think how we might encourage other people to do the same, which is partly why we're here today. Um, And then they also look at things like, so they'll look at um, dementia studies that are on the NIHR portfolio and and see how about different sites are are managing to recruit to those studies. And there's a sort of um, sharing information and networking things like that so can i just check the call to action to the listeners there as it were so are you is there an opportunity for early career researchers to join that group or to be involved with that group no no, no. <laughs> well 
I'm not until we leave. There is an opportunity to get involved with the local networks and be part of of, of the local studies. Most of the studies are multi-centers, so they run across the different networks. And we do need people to help out with, with ongoing studies, help recruit patients, but also be part of the study teams. And that's that's where we... So it's, it's important more about yeah, it's yeah. more about trying to we are trying to recruit more early career researchers into dementia research throughout the country, working right. in the local gotcha. centres rather yeah. than to join our group. If you see what I mean, yeah. um, so that's that's the drive, and that's what we're trying to sort of spread the word about how people can do that. So let's assume we're really successful, and there's lots of people listening to this who are in that target audience. What what is out there? So you've mentioned the local networks. What other organisations? What sort of infrastructure is there for someone? who's interested in becoming involved in research, a clinician? Um, so I think I think the NIHR is, is the first port of call, really. So I think that's the that's probably the, the best place to start. Um, if you don't know anything and you think, I don't even know what's happening locally, I would suggest you contact your, your local um, CRN and find out who is your lead for the um, dementias group um, and, and just get in touch with them because there will be something in all areas of the country. There, there is research activity everywhere and it's just finding out what's happening locally. You will be given a warm welcome, <laughs> I'm mm. sure. Um, I mean, you might want to start with um, just people you know in your trust, clinical educational supervisors. There's um, contacting your R&D department might help. Some places have uh, links with their local university and that might be a way of um, finding out about things as well. Now, I'm aware that this conversation has been very medically driven at the moment. I mean, you're all three three doctors. Sylvie... How important do you think this is that this is message not going just out to doctors, but other members of the team and other other professionals, occupational therapists, psychologists, others, nurses, obviously? Uh, well, really important because like any other team in the NHS or health and social care, we're, we're very much multidisciplinary. We wouldn't be able to function, I suppose, without our research nurses, research assistants, uh, pharmacists, pharmacy techs, all sorts. So it's really important. And I suppose... What I take from that is when I go back for go back to my community team in the week, I like to try and talk about what I'm doing at research and my own positive experiences to other colleagues in my team. Um, and we often do things like update at MDT and talk about studies we've got coming out. Um, and people that are coming through our team in training as well, I think it's important to mention research as a career option to kind of get people a bit more interested um, so they can look into it more. And Leo, in Cambridge, your experience, is, is it a fairly medically driven research endeavour or is it fairly multidisciplinary? It's actually multidisciplinary. We have a lot of nurses who lead the local research unit and run a lot of the studies, so they're very valuable. And as clinically, we work, as Sylvie said, in a multidisciplinary team. Similarly, in research studies, we need we need all of the, all of the different professions. A lot of the studies are looking into how to improve dementia care, for example, and that's really where we need occupational therapists and nurses. But also as part of the, a lot of the assessments we do, it's important to have the multidisciplinary team and not just the doctors. And do you have a sense of, I mean, particularly Sylvie and, uh, and Zoe's experience in terms of being trainees with a protected day, do we think that other professions get that type of support or is that one of the reasons it's, it is accessible to, to a medical profession and maybe less accessible, more difficult for an occupational therapist, for example? It's, it's certainly more difficult because they don't have the protected time, at least as far as I know, to do that. But they can do, obviously, recruit patients as part of their 
routine clinical work and that's the drive within the NHS trusts. But there are also a lot of academic posts for research nurses, research occupational therapists to have a slight, a slight uh, a turn in their career. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way it is easier as a, as a doctor because you have this long period of training um, sort of once you've qualified and, and that gives us the, these kind of opportunities. Um, but, you know, we've certainly had um, nursing nurses on secondment um, to our uh, research centre. So people who've shown an interest have been able to have that opportunity um, before sort of taking the leap of actually maybe wanting to work there full time. So and certainly one of our I know in the community mental health team I worked in the most active person and in referring patients was our memory nurse and it wasn't a doctor at all um, and so you know it's really important that everyone's seeing those patients and, and actually often other professionals would be better placed as we discussed earlier really to, to be having those discussions. So how do you think I mean listening to this it sounds like you all clearly because you are involved in research but you get a lot out of it personally how can we get that message out I mean how do we attract more people which I guess is why we're here here talking about this how do we attract more clinicians to get more actively involved in research a million dollar question um your podcast yeah (laughs) i think i think there's there's a couple of ways i i think for me one of the things that really speaks most is is hearing patients experiences of being part of research and i think when you when you read some of the sort of testimonies or articles that people have written or, or watch a recording of a patient that's been involved in research and seeing how much that has benefited them and that sense of you know i'm in a really bad situation here and i've i had this diagnosis that i don't want but i'm choosing to do something positive with that i think that's a really compelling reason to want to be involved and also i think we've all had that sense of being in a memory clinic maybe and and feeling I wish there was more I could offer this person and I wish there was a you know a disease modifying treatment that I could that I could say that I can give to you and that's only going to change by being involved in research so I think just getting that message out there I think might help yeah um one thing I think that put me off it a little bit when I didn't know much about it um which I was wrong about I see myself probably as quite a fluffy doctor and I think I thought of research as cold and clinical and maybe I wouldn't be suited to that and it's really not kind of for the reasons you've just been saying about you can offer people hope working in it and that's really satisfying and you spend a lot of time with patients really finding out about what's going on with them um and I I always wanted to spend more time with people talking about it and really getting to the root of things. And I quite like being thorough and detailed. Um, and it's very much that sort of work. Um, you build up relationships with people. If someone's in a trial for two years, for example, you're seeing maybe them and their partner over that time. So there's a really nice kind of more human side to it that I didn't realise. So I think it'd be quite nice to talk about that a little bit more as well for people that don't really know what it's like. I suppose, coming back to what Zoe said, it is the importance of research. It's not something separate that we just do on the side. It is part of our work. And if we want to to, to improve the current care, the current things we offer within the NHS, is by doing more research and by trying to find a disease-modifying treatment for dementia, but also to improve how we deliver care for dementia, how we assess people, and how we do that in a timely manner. And all of those things are part of research and, and is why we do research. It's really interesting. I, mean, I, I think you've all brought out lots of, you know, a very rich picture of what there is to, to benefit you as individuals, you as clinicians, and clearly uh, your patients as well. So I think we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of the podcast. Um, so I just ask you to have a think about anything else you'd like to add or any um, calls to actions to our, uh, our listeners. 
Um, I would just say don't be frightened and don't feel um, intimidated. I think sometimes there's a sense of these rather um, austere academic sitting in some sort of ivory tower somewhere. I don't think that is what the reality is. Um, I think we've tried to come get across that you don't you can choose to go down that pathway yourself and that's great, but you don't have to and you can still be research active. And actually there are so many benefits for both our patients, the carers and ourselves as clinicians. Um, so just try and find out what's happening locally and, 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 and see if it's something you could be involved in, but at least sign your patients up. <laughs> taking part to join dementia research thank you for it <laughs> yeah so I, I think you've articulated that much better than <laughs> i was going to say it but yeah so even if you, if you don't feel it's right for you to work into it as you say you can find out more about what's going on in your area and it's it doesn't have to be hard to refer your patients to it you can as you said just say this is what's going on if you'd like to find out more can I put your name down on this list or ask for you to be contacted and that's all it takes and people you know potentially can have some really positive experiences by taking part in research and it's really fun really being part of research studies seeing patients coming through recruiting them analyzing results it's very rewarding it's very intellectually stimulating and and it's very important so do you think, would it be fair to say, I mean, we're all probably singing from the same hymn sheet, but is it acceptable for for clinicians not to be involved in research? I think I think we live in the real world and I think we all know the clinical pressures. And I've certainly had days at work where even even being someone that's really interested in research and even being someone that really wants and feels strongly about wanting to recruit, I have forgotten to have that discussion with patients when we're pressurised. Is that acceptable? It's not ideal. I think it is reality sometimes, but I, I think it's something we should all be striving for. And on the other hand, we can't force people to be involved in research. <laughs> people people have to have the interest and the motivation, and that's when, when the good things happen. Yeah, and I also it depends on the, the patient that's in front of you and their their what's uh, happening in their lives and their their sort of pathway of their disease as well. So, fantastic! It's really really interesting. So I believe there's more opportunities for people to hear from you. Zoe, you're writing a blog? Yeah, that's right. So I'm writing um, an article for the Dementia Research website with more of the same of this, of what we talked about today and some hopefully use, useful links. So that will be appearing soon. Fantastic. And Leo, I believe you're off to talk at the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Yes, Zoe and I are talking about how to get involved in research on the Old Age Psychiatry Trainees Conference, part of the Royal College of Psychiatry. Fantastic. So when's that? That's the 14th? The 20th of March. 20th of March. Okay, fantastic. Which means, Sylvie, that means you've got to sign up for something extra as well. (laughs) 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 Well, thank you very much indeed, all three of you. Um, If any of our listeners have anything to add on the topic, then please do post your comments on our website or drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECRDementia. On our website, you'll also find a transcript of this podcast. So please do tell any colleagues who may not be able to listen. We'll also ensure that we include any links to some of the uh, information and resources that we have talked about in the podcast on the website, so that if you know anyone that might need help, please point them in that direction. If you have any questions, we also have a busy WhatsApp community group. Are you guys involved in the WhatsApp community group? We will be. You will be now. (laughs) I can tell you we we, uh, host a fortnightly themed discussion to talk about the topics that we've had on the podcast. So hopefully you guys or one or two of you will be joining us uh, in a fortnight's time. And details of how to join can be found on the website. 
So we look forward to chatting about this some more then. Uh, in Oh, sorry, in a week's time, not a fortnight's time, and we hope that you'll join us then. Finally, please remember to like. Please do. It's really valuable for us and helps us get more listeners. So to like, subscribe, and leave a review of this podcast through our website, through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbeam, and SoundCloud, and all other places that you find podcasts. Thank you. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.